hello friends how's it going my name's matt bar you listen to looking sideways action sports podcast it's the show where i investigate the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavors thanks for tuning in hope you enjoy this episode currently recording this intro in the shed it's raining it's the middle of july we are in the uk quite cozy though don't mind saying anyway this week's guest jerome tannon French photographer and filmmaker, somebody I've been tracking down for a while for a couple of reasons. Firstly, because of the work he's put out over the last few years, which to my mind is up there with the most creative and interesting work anybody's put out across any action sports medium. Big claim, but one I'm going to stand by and hopefully demonstrate in this episode. Second reason I wanted to chat to him, because his work contains comedy and pathos and that suggested to me he'd have a lot of good chat that would perfectly fit the podcast. And so it proved. Now, I've long pondered and even written about how one-dimensional most action sports content is. It's not necessarily a criticism, just more, you know, a pretty obvious observation that it tends to be preoccupied with showcasing that whole, look how hard this is, professional end of the spectrum, which is fine. People are always going to want to watch incredible feats by superhuman athletes. It is what makes the industry go round after all. But it's fair to say that that part of the sideways experience isn't the whole extent of it for most ordinary people. Obviously, it's part of it, progression and trying to get better. But there's much more to it for everybody that's just going about their lives, you know, being into these activities. And I've always thought that not trying to cover these um, unexplored yet potentially hugely fruitful human experiences and the territory suggested by this was a huge missed opportunity really is it's certainly one of the reasons why I approach the podcast the way that I do why do I think it's missed opportunity because and forgive me this is shaping up to be one of those long ass intros a listener complained about recently you can always skip it if, if you're listening mate Why I say, well, because if nothing else, that narrow focus represents something of a missed opportunity. Think of the films and stories that have crossed over from our world. Stuff like Free Solo, Bethany Hamilton, Ben Moon's Denali, just a few off the top of my head. These stories use our worlds to address the universal human experience, then tell us something about life. And there's another potentially fruitful area while we're on the subject, the fundamental ludicrousness of this whole daft business and how seriously everybody takes it. I mean, let's be honest, there's something pretty pompous and slightly po-faced about a lot of the way that this is approached. And that on its own, I've always thought, is something worth sending up or at least looking at. I mean, that was the entire point of White Lines when we ran it. So with all that in mind, when something original does come along, that takes a different perspective and explores the area that I've uh, just outlined, areas, I should say, it's worth paying attention. And not least because it's hard to do this stuff well, especially if you're going to try and be funny about it, which is why I think Jerome's first film, The Eternal Beauty of Snowboarding, is so great because it's that rare thing. It manages to have its cake and eat it by sending up the ridiculousness of the very scene it celebrates in a way that keeps everybody on side. And what's even more impressive about that is the way it was put together, which is something else we discussed during our conversation. It really is the antithesis of all those huge budget spectaculars. And yet it manages to say more about snowboarding and snowboarding culture for my money than most of those films have ever managed to. Yes, it is that good. Jerome followed that with his next film, Zabadast, which in contrast was a fairly straight up documentary about an expedition to Pakistan, the Himalayas. I'm going to say Himalayas. I might have got that wrong. It's the Himalayas anyway. Apologies if that's a little fact-checking Santa error. little nod to Adam Buxton there. Anyway, he did even then manage to imbue that film with a rare beauty and meaning thanks to some particular and considered creative choices. And now Jerome is halfway through his next project, Heroes, a book about female snowboarders and the modern female snowboarding scene. At the time of recording, it's up on Kickstarter and it has effortly smashed its target. Well done if you've backed it. If you've not, go and back it. High time then to finally pin him down and discuss his work so far. It is really a good one, this. with one of modern snowboarding's most original and generous thinkers. Sorry, that's five minutes of the intro. 
Um, actually, I'm not saying sorry. That's just the way it goes. Um, anyway, here's me and Jerome Tannon. Enjoy. Sweet. There we go. We did it. How you doing, man? It looks hot. <laughs> man, I'm sweating. It's I'm under the <laughs> under the sun in the south of Sardinia, and uh, I'm fixing my little sailboat. How's that going? <sighs> Pretty bad. I mean, it's <laughs> it's really awful. I'm in a yard. There's no running water. There's almost no toilets. There's dogs running over around and mosquitoes everywhere. Right. And I'm trying to fix I, like electrical stuff, some ropes. I'm painting the boat back again. And uh hopefully I'm almost done and tomorrow evening I can sail away. So what is it maintenance or is it like is this a starting from scratch thing? No, it's maintenance. Or... It's I left it for the winter here and it's just like boats need lots of maintenance. Yeah. Right. And then what's the plan? Where are you gonna go? Well, I'm going to sail around the Mediterranean again. Uh, in the meanwhile, I rent out my apartment in Annecy. And uh, that's just how I've been rolling for a few years uh, already. And it's just adventure, living on the sea, having friends on board, not knowing where the wind's going to push you and learning so much in the meanwhile. Because for me, sailing is something new and it's a new challenge. And uh, it's so nice to have summer on the sea when it's usually very hot everywhere so we'll see i'm really looking forward so you got no no itinerary just see where you see where you end up uh my plan is to traverse actually in a few days to traverse from sardinia to the balearis islands to mallorca and uh it's gonna be the longest uh, cruise uh the longest crossing my boat has ever done and Right and me as well. So I'm a little, I'm a little nervous. I'm watching the forecast. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's gonna be three days and three nights maybe at sea. Okay. And so what? You you didn't grow up sailing. No. You just were like, fuck it. I'm gonna buy a boat and exactly. Yeah, and, pretty much. And do, do do the summers. Yeah. So how how how's that been? Has that been? That must have been amazing. How many summers have you done so far then? It's about the fifth summer now, and. Uh, Every summer there's a new, I go somewhere new. I've been to Corsica quite a few. I've been to Sardinia last summer. I've been to Baleares already once and I want to go again. And uh, I have just friends taking turns to come up with me and and like lots of snowboard friends as well that you always know in the in the context of snowboarding. Then you get to to know them in a, in a totally different context. And you, you get to know someone very well when you're on a tiny little boat like this one uh 24/7 yeah how big is the boat it's 24 foot right yeah. and so what 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 was the deal with the boat did you know what you were buying or did you just kind of yeah buy buy, buy a boat <laughs> yeah i was looking for the pretty much the smallest boat which can sail far far out right so that was the the type of boat i wanted it's called Jouet 24 and uh, it has a, a hull. It's it's rough. It's strong. It's really small, but it's it can handle a little bit of sea. Uh, but the engine is an outboard, so it cannot handle so much sea because then your engine goes on like in and out the water in the waves. And if you, if you want to get into a harbor or something, it's hectic. Right. So it's definitely a boat that you shouldn't get in a storm in at any point so i'm always very cautious and uh slowly like taking time like choosing the good weather windows i i do the crossings i need to do and it's been it's been going great so far yeah man that's great so that's the cycle so you work the wind well i say work but you know do do the winter projects yeah and then and then take this take this time out that's quite a bit of work for sure <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, well, you so on the work front, you're just off the back of well, you're in the middle of this this latest project, Heroes, right? Which, so we've been talking probably about what six weeks, and like on email, try to sort this out, and you were like, "Yeah, I'm pretty busy. <laughs> I got this, got this pretty big project that I'm in the middle of." Yeah. Um. So you launched it. So we should say maybe if you explain what the project is for people that are listening, firstly, and then we can chat about the Kickstarter. So yeah, heroes, tell us about it. So, 
I've been doing lots of projects uh, for the few for the past few years. I've been doing a couple of movies and and then I, when I was looking back at all my archives, I was I was looking at maybe 12 years of snowboard photography and I was looking at my archives and I was I was really sad to see almost no photos of girls. And I was thinking, well, how how did that happen because uh I would have been super interested to shoot with girls, but it so happened that in all of the crews that I was shooting with, like the snowboard crews, the uh, all the apps and crews, the pirate crews, all the all the video crews, there was just no girls. Uh, well, it's always kept it's always kept pretty separate in snowboarding, isn't it? So you know, like traditionally, it's been like here's the girl project. Yeah, you know, there's a girl film, there's a girl crew, mm-hmm. but it's and then you know on on the big productions, there might be like two parts or something yeah yeah which is awesome like uh, i met annie boulanger in whistler and she's the girl who who shot the the few absent parts which were insane back in the day and they're still insane today actually uh yeah but um but yeah it just so happened that i have i was not on a girl project and and in my other projects there was almost no girls and so i decided okay let's Let's make room for it because, uh, you know, there's always crews calling you all the time. Hey, it's snowing in Austria. Let's go. We're going here. We're going there. Uh, so I said to all my regular crews, hey, I'm going to be off shooting boys for a while. <laughs> I'm going to be focusing on the girls. And uh, and I started my project like this, like without sponsors, with like just just doing my own little project. And uh and the and the first season I shot, I realized that this was really something I wanted to do, and I wanted to do well. So I needed to shoot two seasons, and I, and I wanted to get to meet like lots of female writers, so I can get a feel of the actual scene. So that so that that was the idea then to to try and showcase this moment in time for women snowboarding. Is that how it developed? You were like, actually, there's something I could really cover here, like this whole scene. Yeah, absolutely. Because the the more I was shooting with the girls, the more I realized how entangled they all are, mostly through social media. But you'll find out that through social media, they all know each other. There's maybe a scene of, I don't know, 150 girls which are ripping and which all know each other through social media. And they all support each other, if, even if they don't know each other. And um, that's something super interesting. And... Uh, I realized if I can go to the States and I can meet, because most of the scene is in the US and in Canada, and if I can go there and meet all of these girls and also meet all of the the heroes of my childhood, which were like Marie-Francois, Leanne Pelosi, uh, Robin Van Gen, Desiree, all these girls I wanted to meet. Um, if I could do that, and if I can find money to do that, then I can make something great. And uh, and so I went out and looked for money, and I didn't find any. I was I was calling all of everyone in the industry. Hey, I'm doing this project on women. Uh, I'm a freelancer. I just need some travel budget to go there and shoot everyone. And all the brands were, oh wow, that's awesome! You know, we have this big push on women in 2020. And <laughs> and so I, I and just a couple emails down the line. Hey, but we're totally out of budget for this matter. So all of the brands were giving me the same sound, and that was before the virus. Uh, yeah, right. The only brand which which was down and and which would and that was amazing was Salomon, and Salomon gave me budget to go and travel to the U.S. So I thought I was gonna have budget from all the majors in the industry and and make it a really like everyone's project, but in the end it was only Salomon, which is. Which is great. I'm stoked because they're amazing. So they're they're helping me a lot to make this happen. And so I, I made this trips. Uh, I shot for almost two seasons, and then I I went to my dark room and did all the prints that I wanted to do, and spent so much time in the dark room. And and so the whole project is now. It was supposed to be only art shows. I just wanted to do art shows, and uh, now it's become more and more uh, important that I make a book. And, Can you uh, tell me about the process of the prints? Because obviously you've gone for this pretty analog approach, right? <laughs> like in in terms like in terms of how you know, like that that process almost seems to be as important to you as 
well a very important part of the project let's put it that way so could you could you explain a little bit about those choices that you made there well it's cr it's very crucial to me uh, firstly uh, i have been shooting on film for many years now so i'm kind of used to uh, shooting film, shooting just one photo at a time, being very cautious because film is very expensive and because you have only 10 photos per, per film roll or sometimes 36. Um, but I really wanted to create icons of female snowboarding. That was a very uh, enthusiastic objective, but uh, I, I was aiming at trying to get iconic photos. And what's an iconic photo? It has to be close as close as it gets to a painting that's that's how i felt about it and so by doing this darkroom process where you make you know just one print of every photo and it takes you a few days for each print to prepare to sort and to and to actually make uh it, in the end it's just as precious as a painting and uh, it also looks like a painting because the way i you know i use the chemicals and i use my hands to you know to brush the photos around so it, it has a little bit of, of that feeling and and even when i'm framing the photos i have in the back of my head okay what a painting of this scene would look like you know because we have all these photographic processes but what's for example what's a painting of a famous uh soldier it's not going to be a soldier in one third of the frame and then two thirds of landscape you know what i mean it's going to be a it's going to be a portrait of the soldier in very big, you know? Yeah. And with like a perfectly balanced background and surroundings. And that's how I was trying to shoot those photos. Um, so like almost like a more classic, and I mean classic with a capital C, like, you know, classical iconography insofar as like trying to treat it legitimately like art, if you like. Exactly. You know? Yeah, exactly. And the funniest thing is that at some point I found myself shooting a guy in the sky type of photo. You know, so like I was, so I circled around all the way, like from doing, you know, the you went full circle. Yeah, full circle from the <laughs> from the craziest framings to the craziest things to just going back to guy in the sky. <laughs> right. Well, I, that's what's interesting. That's why I asked the question. That's what's interesting about the whole process because, yeah, like that that approach to it. I mean, I'm going to say it's old school, but it's only like 15 years ago, really, isn't it? That we didn't rely on digital, you know, to do yeah. this. So it does necessitate a different approach. And it is, at this point, a conscious artistic choice, definitely. You know, if you're going to do that, clearly you're making a, an artistic statement. And then the fact that you've called it Heroes, which is, I don't think provocative is the right word, but it is definitely a, a statement title, you know. It took me a while to find a name. And, and the more I went into the project without name, the more it was... Ah, I just need a name, any name, come on, you know, anything. And Heroes came to me, just the most basic name. But it made sense because, first of all, Heroes starts with her. And also, it's a, it's a noun without sex, you know. You don't know if you're talking about a hero, you don't know if it's a female or a male. And so that was interesting to me as well. So that in the title, it's not girl power, it's heroes, it's something... It's, you know, we're looking at these girls for what they do and what they are, not just because they're girls. And uh, we're looking at them because they're amazing snowboarders and absolutely passionate about it and totally dedicated. And um, and so that's how the, the, the name came around. But in the end, it's just a name. Do you, so with that in mind, do you think that that's something that female snowboarding, women snowboarding has kind of suffered from? in the past because it does sound like you're kind of trying to reset reset something like address something you know almost like the fact that the depiction of female snowboarding has been hasn't done it in the right way given them the platform that you know given that scene the platform it deserves is that is that kind of part of this project to kind of redress that it is it is uh, it is like a consequence of the project it's not like my original idea is totally unpolitical it's just girls are amazing on a snowboard and i just want to cover that you yeah know, it's it doesn't go as far as thinking too much but in the end of course it gets very political because oh it's an all girls project why and why not boys and girls project and blah 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 so it's like um i think the like deep inside what all these girls are really starving from 
is their craving for being together no matter boys or girls you know there is a, there is an absolute uh, a tight girl scene and they're very supportive of each other and they're and they love to shred together because they can push each other and uh, but what they love to do is to ride with the boys and to ride with the girls and when everyone's riding together so um, I think you know the more the more we go and the more we're gonna see uh, snowboard videos with you know 30% girls uh, maybe more and uh, because the all girl videos it's the same thing as my project it's just, it's all girl videos and they're amazing and there's been uh, a few that has been done recently which are insane um, but for me it was more like to give them a voice as well because I went to meet them and and I'm a snowboarder they're a snowboarder even if I've never met them in my life we're friends after five minutes no matter what and <laughs> And they start to tell me their life stories because I'm, I'm asking questions and, I, and, and I'm listening to them and we're driving down these roads and we have time to kill. So they're telling me these stories of, I don't know, abusive boyfriends, uh, crazy parents, uh, struggle just to get on the snowboard, struggle to leave their small little town to get to some ski resort and finally uh live through their passion for snowboarding and and i found that i found it so interesting and so uh um so crucial that i listened to their stories so that is why when i started to do the book i was i called them up and i, I was like hey you remember the story you told me you know on this chairlift or in this drive can you write it down for me and we're going to put it all together in the book and it was this slow to get it rolling but it, it's like a snowball effect as soon as a few girls started writing their story then the other girls were like whoa she wrote that that was uh pretty personal and pretty deep maybe i can do that too and so now this whole project is not only a photography project it's a life story project and there's also artworks done by uh, the snowboarders they submitted artworks to me and so i, I compiled it all together in the book so it evolved into the book yeah and you so you launched it on Kickstarter and what you hit your target within like what two days? Yeah, <laughs> it went pretty well. Went pretty well, right? Yeah, in like two days, exactly. In like two days, hundred percent, and now it's at two hundred percent, and it just shows how much, you know, how much people are uh, starving for for this kind of stuff. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's just great, and that's it. the The money is gonna enable me to print two thousand copies of this book, so that's just amazing. Wow. Okay, so it's going to be quite a big run then. Yeah. Has have has anyone from the industry come back and expressed interest in being involved since? Yeah, I mean, it's very difficult, like difficult with the whole virus situation and marketing these days. Like everyone would love to support this project, but they can't. Um, so a few brands have come back and were like, "Hey, we're going to order fifty books from you." and and help you get started with the books and so yeah it, it, it did happen yeah yeah okay so yeah like you say it's it's interesting isn't it because a project like this yeah you can like the industry is kind of wary of backing it but there is a market for it and there is there is clearly like this huge interest for it i wonder if things are going to change because obviously there's there's a there's a wider conversation about how, who we talk about, how we represent people in these cultures at the moment. Um, and you know, whether there's a lack, of, whether it's about a lack of diversity, whether it's about the fact that we tend to tell very traditional stories, you know, featuring like white men and like that classic kind of narrative. Do you think things are gonna open up a little bit more and that people will appreciate the fact there's more room for these type of let's just say non-traditional depictions of like snowboarding, surfing, skateboarding? Well, I obviously have no idea because, you know, there, there's words. All these brands are, you know, the first to, to say, hey, we support gay rights, we support black lives, we support this and that. Uh, but in the end, it was the same story when those brands were saying, hey, we support women, we support women, but look at the budget that the women get for their video parts. Uh, look at how many girls you have on your teams. Have a look at your website on your pro team. There's one girl for 25 dudes. Um, so, of course, it's changing, and I'm sure it's changing for the better. And I'm hoping all these recent events are gonna, you know, turn the place, turn the world into a better place. Um, but yeah, 
like you say, the proof the proof is in the pudding. The yeah. proof will be if it actually if it actually changes. And the proof is how- yeah, the proof is in the money and in the exposure. For example, if you you know, to give the girl budget is something important, of course. Uh, but also to give them exposure on your networks, you know, as a brand. And if your brand never listened to me, I'm the worst at, you know, marketing and, <laughs> and doing business. So don't listen to me. But I feel like how many clips of girls do you see on a snowboard brand Instagram? You know, they, they post the bangers, all the banger clips from, from the boys, but there's almost no clips from the girls. And which is a little annoying because the girls have so many sick clips. Uh, so I don't know. Um, I still feel like there's lots of room for improvement. Uh, and this is something I had no idea about two two years ago. Two years ago, I was I was a guy who didn't care, who thought, yeah, girls have, have it okay, I guess. But actually, you know, the more I went into this project, the more I realized, oh, yeah, that they actually don't. See how these girls just, I mean, read the book and see how much struggle they have to go through just to, to do one video part. You know, the goal... The goal of their career is to be able to film a video part. It's not even to to win video part of the year or anything like that. It's just to have a filmer and go in the streets and shoot the clips or in the backcountry. Uh, so that just shows, you know, how far away we are from having having it nice as a girl, you know. Yeah, right. Because obviously for men, that's not even a consideration. There's just an understanding that if you're good, you'll get those opportunities will come, right? And that you'll you'll have a path, really. So. Yeah. But I'm interested in in your description of, you know, you said that originally you had one idea that then developed into what we've been talking about now with Heroes. Is that a bit of a theme of the work that you do? Because with the uh, Eternal Beauty of Snowboarding as well, that's obviously a project that evolved a lot over, you know, it wasn't like you sat down one day and said, I'm going to make this film, you know, like you, you <laughs> it came it came afterwards as you worked your way through that's how it i mean i'm kind of putting words in your mouth but watching that film that's how it seemed you know it seemed like it was a very organic evolution like in terms of a creative process that that developed as you put it together is that is that kind of how your projects go yeah i mean for eternal beauty i when i bought that video cam and i put it on my photo camera i had in the back of my mind i'm gonna make a movie I just didn't know at all what it was going to look like. My first intention was to do a little supercut edit of just clips, no voiceover, just clips put together and for people to be like, oh, what is it? And people have to understand by themselves. But the more I was shooting and I shot for four years, the more I was shooting, the more I was like, yeah, don't be a lazy dude. Like you can do better if you work harder and you actually make a movie, an actual documentary with, uh, an introduction, a first section, a second section, uh, and you put the voiceover. And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do just that." Because on all these clips, I know exactly what I'm gonna say, and I had all these jokes in my head already, even before writing the voiceover. So when after looking through all of the footage, and there was maybe ten days and ten nights worth of footage, just to watch. Uh, yeah, right. Four so, years. Yeah, after I, after I went through all that footage, uh, I was like, okay, I know, I kind of know what I have, you know, because it was just too much. So I just wrote the voiceover and I wrote it literally in half an hour. I wrote the voiceover and I recorded it in one take. And that's really, that's maybe what shows because it's like you said, it's very organic. It's a little uh, punky because it's, yeah, it's a shit microphone. It's a one take recording and, um, and but I knew exactly what I wanted to say because I, I've I've had plenty of time to think about what I wanted to do and like you said it evolved from my own little project to to a documentary about snowboarders and and then to to an incredible YouTube hit and which snowboarders from all around the world have seen and and like a few months ago I was in uh, in Israel and some dude stopped me in the street. In the middle of of <laughs> of Tel Aviv, and he was like, "Hey, dude, are you Jerome? I watched your movie, and I couldn't believe it." And he was a snowboard enthusiast, and and he told me everything about it, and and it happened to me in India, in Japan, in Finland, in bars, in random places, and and really everyone has seen the movie, which is 
absolutely crazy. So it did evolve, but it it evolved because of of the people sharing the movie, you know, from a friend to another. It's but it's just funny, eh? And also, it's just it's so spot on with the culture of professional snowboarding. I mean, I've worked in the industries like working for magazines and been on shoots and i know that world yeah and and like i just thought it was hilarious because it it was such a perfect send-up of how seriously that world takes itself but also like in a really affectionate way and that and that's not an easy thing to do you know like it's you can take the piss out of something and you can but to do it in a way that's that's actually really generous and and like inclusive so that everyone's in on the joke yeah i think that's why i think that's why everybody responded so well to it because it's 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 fucking hard to do <laughs> it's hard to do anyway but it's hard to do with something like snowboarding which is you know when and as you convey in the film such a fundamentally ridiculous thing to do like the, the culture <laughs> of professional snowboarding is is actually a ludicrous pursuit when you get down to it yeah and we all act like it's you know i say we as in people that that work in the industry whatever like act as if it's this really serious thing that everybody's got <laughs> so that I, I think i think that's why it was so refreshing that's personally what i thought anyway when i watched it i was just i was almost like what a brilliant idea and also like and also about time that someone's kind of said that about it because yeah it was no no, no one had no one had ever said that really about about the culture of it because th there is something fundamentally ludicrous about all of these things that we do and it's kind of good to remember that right and, and just like you i was exactly in your position i was like hey what is what does how long do i have to wait because i'm a photographer I, I was waiting for some filmmaker to do it i was waiting for one of the many you know absent filmers pirate filmers transworld filmers all these guys snowboard filmers uh and none of them i was talking to them and none of them seemed to wanted to do it and I was like, "Hey, well, that, but that, but they're in that. It's that's their that's their world, though, isn't it? Yeah, that's what's funny because they take it seriously. <laughs> yeah, they take it seriously, and they take it as a job. And of course, it's their job. And and no one's going to pay them to make that movie, and uh, no one's going to pay them to watch through ten years of footage. And they're probably on tapes in someone's drawer. And so I was like, okay, well, no one's going to do it. I'll do it. I'll fucking do it. Yeah, that I mean, it, so did." Did you get any kind of pushback from people or did everyone just get it? No, everyone got it. That was the most amazing part because uh, I remember when I was finishing the editing, I sh I, I sent a few little clips to, the, to some writers saying, hey, uh, you know, I'm actually making that movie because most of the writers wouldn't believe I would actually make a movie. They thought I, Why was, not? They thought I was just joking around with my camera. Because I was filming so much, you know, I, I have right. maybe six hours of people brushing their teeth, <laughs> and and they would they would watch me and they would be like, "Hey, so how was your footage?" And I say, "Yeah, I don't know. I haven't watched any of the footage for three years." And they're like, oh, "Okay, yeah, so like probably never gonna be a movie." <laughs> and right. and even a movie, it's not a movie. I'm a photographer. It was it's was gonna be my little holiday clip. Like they never yeah. thought it was gonna be uh, that that well made in the end and i did spend almost a year on the on the whole editing process and 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 all that and so uh, i lost my train of thought but um well i was asking if uh, if the response from from the guys really and what, whether everybody got it it sounds like yeah and i sent some clips being hey are you cool with uh, this footage of you kissing a random chick in the streets Oh yeah, sure. No worries. Hey, hey, are you cool with this clip of you like smoking joints all day? Oh yeah, no worries. And they were all just—they don't care. They're snowboarders. Yeah. You know, they're yeah, they're yeah. punks as well, and and they're smoking weed. Why would they? I mean, some snowboarders, for example, are very cautious about cigarettes. They don't want anyone to know they smoke cigarettes, which and sometimes it's very funny. But most of them, they just don't care. Oh yeah, you have the, like whatever, just whatever, you know. And and they couldn't see the whole picture either, but. I, and I didn't show the movie to anyone before it got released. Uh, right. Really, I was I was editing the movie in my boat, just like I am right now, and I was laughing on myself. I was just laughing and laughing and laughing and putting my jokes on top of the footage, and 
And if someone was passing by, they would they would think some someone is insane in this boat. He's just laughing all day by himself in the dark. What is this guy? And and when the movie got released, it was in a cinema with one thousand of my friends, and and they had no idea what they were gonna see. That it was just a right. movie. Right. So you didn't tell it. So you just kept it pretty pretty much to yourself. What what the theme was? Totally. Yeah. I didn't want to get influenced by anyone. I didn't want anyone to tell me, hey. Yeah, I love this part, but I don't know about this part. Or, I, yeah. I was so confident that I had it, I didn't want to show anyone. I was like, "Oh yeah, this yeah. is this is okay." Well, it's like you say, it's the only way it was going to get made, though. Really, to have a personal idea like that. Had you made films before? Just like short, f- few years back, I made a real little clip of uh, my friends and I going to some mountain hut mm-hmm. for a few days and. Uh, and yeah but i didn't really edit and so i don't i don't i can't really say i I made other movies before yeah so was it was it kind of daunting because that sounds like a shitload of work for a star and also yeah to to to, to, it's one thing to have the idea or have an idea but then to actually follow it through for a year and execute it so wow was that was that daunting or were you just pretty fired up it was just like i gotta do this (laughs) I had a mission. This was my mission. You know, this was why I was here and it made it made me think okay, yeah, you're not just hanging around and and building blocks to make a jump and this is just what your life is about. You're doing a little more than that by taking a few steps back and looking at the whole situation and describing the whole picture in in this film. And this is just a classic documentary uh cinematographer look. Yeah. Uh, so it gave more purpose to me spending my years, my youth, you know, in in the snow doing stupid stuff. Uh, so I was very, yeah, I had to do it, definitely. Did you did you need that? Did you need that purpose? Because you know, obviously, I don't know a lot about your background, but I'm assuming you grew up in the mountains. You know, you you, you grew up snowboarding, you got a camera, like learned to be a photographer, hmm. and did the thing with you know, because you always photographers always caught with riders and there's that kind of group of group of friends you know start shooting start learning how the industry works all that stuff yeah um but did you did you need to find a bit more meaning in it for sure for sure for sure because uh, i don't know if i do that every day but i sometimes take a few steps back and looking at what i'm okay yeah so what are you doing what is this whole thing uh and Snowboarding, as you said, it's such a stupid endeavor that sometimes you have to be like, whoa, are, is this really what we're doing? Like, <laughs> are we really going to spend three days to build this jump and then it's not going to work? Like, is this really our life? Uh, so, yeah. And since I'm not, of course, I'm a professional photographer, so I have a purpose already, but uh, I, I didn't feel like that was enough. And um and so, yeah, as, as soon as I started to commit and I also needed the pressure from everyone to be like, hey, are you really going to make that movie? So that's why I made the, the trailer a year before the release. So I made right. I made a trailer when I hadn't even watched through all the footage. I just did, did the first five minutes pretty much and then just left everything else blank. And I showed that to everyone and and that put me a lot of pressure. And now all, all the writers are like, whoa, yeah. So once the movie coming out, and the movie was not even made at all, and uh, and that gave me the pressure because sometimes I need the pressure to perform, and and with the pressure that this movie had to be done, I I found, and I I feel like also it has to come from someone who has plenty of time, and I I made plenty of time in my life so I could focus on these projects because, uh, yeah, if you don't have a lot of time ahead of you, and if you're not young and jobless, pretty much uh there's like there's no time to do this kind of stuff yeah so why why did you grow up i grew up in paris actually i'm definitely not a kid from the mountains and um i was a passionate snowboard fan when i was a kid a teenager and i just wanted to watch snowboard videos and go to snowboard to the mountains and go I, i went on holidays to snowboard almost every year and but as soon as i was i turned 18 i was like okay i'm driving my car to the Alps and I'm going to stay there. So I came late. Right. I came really late to the scene and I, I came up to the snow park in Les Alps and I was like, I didn't know anyone. And I was just a snowboarder. And, but I was 
really bad because I didn't start when I was 10 and I didn't do freestyle until I, until I was maybe 15 or 16. Um, so I was late, but I was just so enthusiastic and I started taking photos because I just loved it. And that's when I thought, okay, maybe I can make this my job. And was that like in the French industry originally? Yeah, that was in like France. Fren yeah, French, French magazines. Magazine. Yeah. When was this then? That was 12 years ago, 2007, 2008. That was my first uh, prints in the magazines. I okay. Think. So who were you shooting with back then? Who, like who were the... <laughs> Well, well, funny enough, some of the dudes I still shoot with today, like we grew, right. we grew up together with uh, Victor Davier, Victor Delerue, yeah. uh, Valérian Ducourtil, uh, Jérôme Mathieu, Arthur Longo, uh, all these guys who were this French little, French little kids scene, they, they all made it into pro snowboard life and some of them are still pro today. And there's not it's kind of the last generation of French pros. There's not, there's not a next wave of kids who want to be pro at backcountry snowboarding or street snowboarding. They want to have a job and they want to snowboard on the weekends and make little edits with their friends and have fun, but they don't want to be full-time pros. So the victors are to me, the victors and Arthur, they're, they're the last French pros. I didn't really realize that. That's, that seems a shame just it, because there's such, there's such a strong history of French freestyle yeah, snowboarding. And the, and the kids are so good. They're so good, but they, they just don't see it as it's not their dream anymore. Oh, shooting a part with this major video. Yeah, I don't know. I'd rather shoot clips for Instagram with my friends. That, yeah, I wonder if that's the way it's going to go. Because obviously the, the, the way the industry's shrinking and media's shrinking as well. It, I mean, it is it is just harder, isn't it? Or maybe not harder, but like there's less of an obvious route. You know, I think I think when you maybe like you say, twelve years ago, twenty years ago, whatever, there was kind of a classic route, really, wasn't there? You know, if you were a snowboarder and and a photographer as well. You know, you could, like I mentioned earlier, you know, you partner up, you shoot. There's yeah. magazines, there's there's outlets, there's videos, and then it kind of goes from there, doesn't it? But that is kind of disappearing now, isn't it? Totally, it's totally different now. Back then, it was. Uh, winning comps when you're a kid and then moving to shooting videos and now it's getting famous on Instagram <laughs> you know uh, it's it's kind of true I mean of course most of the famous kids also win contests and everything but y you could become pro just by standing in the same park all your life and shoot clips you could potentially do that yeah. Um, so the, the scene because of social media has changed a lot but in the end it's it's the most talented kids and it's the most dedicated kid who, who make it and so it's kind of the same deal you know the most talented and, and dedicated kids can make it to being to being pro um, it's just a different way they have more control of what they're shooting too and I think they yeah. like it you know snowboarders love to shoot their little their own GoPro edits and iPhone edits and edit themselves and post it themselves they, it's something they really enjoy doing yeah yeah they're definitely always opinionated about the way things should look and how to convey it that's for sure well as you'll know better than anyone being a photographer so yeah it, eternal beauty was obviously a huge success and then you followed that with zabadast right is yeah. that, was that the next project after that so it was and did you work with the picture guys before or was that was that a new association after that, after Eternal Beauty? Because obviously you, you said you live in Annecy and there's a community of people in Annecy as well, right? So. Yeah, uh, I had never, I didn't know the guys at all at first. You know, it was Thomas Delfino who, who set up the whole uh, expedition, who, who called me up and was, hey, I'm setting up a crazy expedition to Pakistan and we're going to free ride some giant peaks. Are you down? I'm like, yeah, hell yeah, I'm down. I mean, I've been shooting streets for a while and this is so different. <laughs> Let's do it. Um, and so he wanted me to be the photographer and he wanted me to get involved in the voiceover just because, you know, he, he must have been stoked on the, the voiceover from Eternal Beauty and and he thought he, I would be a good narrator for a movie. And I said, yeah, sure, I can be a narrator for the movie if you want. And and so they started to gather a crew for the expedition and it turned out that not so many people wanted to go and spend six weeks in Pakistan and <laughs> and hike up to 6,000 meters and leave their family for so long and being 
go to a place which was it was very scary when you have never been to this part of the world and and you're you have you have never been to these big mountains too and it was scary so it was yeah, actually tough it, it, to find camera kinda guys kind of looked pretty intimidating some of it <laughs> it was it was it was you know i never thought i would ever go to the himalayas i always thought himalayas were the insane mythical place where all these adventure pioneers have been and you know reading books about it but i i never thought i would go so when i was like oh shit i'm gonna go this is oh yeah we're not joking anymore shit this is real uh i was scared really scared but i really wanted to do uh and so when i when they were thinking about okay so we're trying to find camera guys it's really hard almost nobody wants to go we're trying to find a movie director but uh, it's same deal uh they all you know with the production company almo they were like with thomas and picture they thought okay well uh we could ask jerome if he wants to direct the movie and because eternal beauty is a movie it's a documentary but it's as unprofessional as it gets you know there's there's no there pretty much no soundtrack there's no editing there's no color correction there's nothing there's it's just me you know um but they thought i could maybe tell the story you know and and so i i said okay yeah let's do it uh let's go full head on uh and do it and i and when i said yes i started to picture the whole film and and i thought okay this could be a chance let's take this chance to make something different uh let's get inspired by actual war movies instead of ski movies and uh let's try and do something which conveys the raw emotions of what it feels to be up there so that was the the ambition at least and uh i was lucky enough to have two amazing uh filmmakers who came with me and and did all the the, the footage uh and then i did the editing in the studio and uh It was totally new for me. I had never done like a proper professional movie and uh, and so it was quite a challenge, but I I loved it. It was tough. Like editing the movie was really tough, but uh it was worth it. So the the voiceover and the kind of diary idea came from that inspiration of of war war movies. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. The the second I pictured myself going with Thomas and and Leo and to Pakistan I thought okay we're going to war. I mean look at how we're preparing our expedition. Look at all the gear we're trying to put together. Look how every little piece of the map has to be carefully looked at. Uh this felt like going to war to me and that's that's when all these war movies popped up to my mind and and the movie soundtracks and and the brotherhood and and I thought very strongly about this movie called The Thin Red Line from Terence Malick. Yeah, where I know it. You know it, and it's a classic, and not so many people have seen it. So if you haven't seen it, go and watch it. Uh, amazing it, soundtrack that film as well. Amazing soundtrack, insane yeah. editing, beautiful scenario, and just how it's shot is is amazing. And during all the movie, you have all this voiceover of the soldiers' thoughts, you know, their intimate voice, and they're all very calm and soft, and they're very contrasted with. They're shooting at each other. They're killing people, but the the soundtrack is totally peaceful and. And there's just their their thoughts, you know, and this was something that was very new in the theme of war movies. I feel like, and um, and I wanted to have kind of the same vibe for the, but I thought, okay, are you crazy? Because you're trying to make a war movie with skiers and snowboarders, and and they're not Hollywood actors, and it could be an absolute shit. Like you're trying to you're trying to make something real cool, but it's absolutely not going to work. It's not. It's like a mayonnaise. You know, you can put all the ingredients if you don't have the magic <laughs> trick. You don't have the experience. You don't have, you know, the budget for uh, so much uh, soundtrack, for so much uh, post processing. Uh, you you might dive crazy into this and do something absolutely shitty, and it's a shame because it's going to be a beautiful expedition. So it took it took some confidence and some projection. You know, the capacity of projecting. Okay, this is going to be the voiceover. I'm going to edit this like that. And then this soundtrack is is in is in here, but it's there's it's all in your head, and yeah. you have to visualize it, like month in advance, and and be like, okay, that works, that works. And then sometimes you're in the editing room and you put it all together and it doesn't work. You're like, oh, shit, I thought it was gonna work. It absolutely doesn't work. So you have to find something else. 
and, and that's how it went and it was just uh yeah i have not made another movie since then and i don't know if i'm gonna do another one i don't have any movie project right now in the charts but i would be i'd be very interested in doing another movie maybe but it just takes so much out of you that you don't want to do a movie every year or even every couple of years it's just too much work too much too draining yeah it looked emotionally full-on the whole thing you know obviously the the actual trip looked as some of it, you know some of it was was people you can see people are genuinely scared and <laughs> you know genuinely like and some of it is like watching it it's a bit like fucking hell you know it's that one bit where everyone's hiking that face and it's, it is punchy it's like jesus um <laughs> And the people are turning back and, you know, there's there's like, there's a lot of honesty in it, which is what I really liked because, again, you watch most sort of AK free ride, even like mountaineering when, you know, when there's snowboard mountaineering involved. And it's yeah. very much like you don't re you don't get that vulnerability with it a lot of the time. Yeah. It's it's very much like, you here we are, you know, yeah, yeah we're going to fucking, you know, like, and yeah. I think when you're an ordinary snowboarder, it's like, you look at those things and you're like, fuck, you know, I'm never going to do that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. but I really like that about Zabadas because there's a vulnerability to it, which I think was very, very relatable to most snowboarders because, you know, you, you could see that even though obviously the riding is amazing and the, and the, and the riders involved are amazing, people were at the limit and it, it conveyed that really well. Yeah, it, uh, that is also why I want to during the whole project of Zabardas, I didn't watch any documentary, any snowboard movie, any freeride movie, any any of that, because I didn't want to get influenced by how these movies should look or how they should be. Because I kind of agree with you. Uh, as a snowboarder, you're watching these guys are total heroes. There's no doubt about it. There's no question. These guys are insane. But the way it's shot and the music and the, the American voiceover, it's always like, yeah, okay, I get it. They're like, super badass like oh okay now they're the best in the world okay so but i'm a snowboarder this doesn't really i don't relate to that so much you know we're we're more as you say we're more vulnerable we're more maybe down to earth we're more a little more punky um and so and so i thought yeah i would definitely don't do that definitely don't watch those american alpine documentary and don't do anything similar just go with what you feel um and that's that's how we we got there and it has it has a bit of a french vibe as well i would say because it's a lot of french people in it and it's very very crude very friendly uh a little you know a little bit of irony here and there yeah i i can i, I would i can see that <laughs> I, i've spent a lot of time in the french alps i know what you're talking about <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly well i just think i liked from from it's interesting to hear how you mentioned how it came about because from the outside you know you can you can look at something like the, the switch up between eternal beauty and zabadast and and say oh okay so obviously he purposely wanted to try something new and like really challenge himself but again it's interesting to hear the fact that again this is almost like an evolution like the pro you came on board the project at one point and then it changed but i do like the fact that creatively you looked at it and were like okay i'm gonna just try and do something completely different and also bring in a load of reference points that aren't the ordinary ones that we see in these in these films, which I think is what made it again so distinctive. Yeah, and it's something I would say to maybe young filmmakers: uh, your first value is that you're a young filmmaker. You have never done a movie. Well, that is even better because you're not going to do something that's already been done before, or you're not going to use the same process over and over again. If I'm making another free ride expedition movie, how am I not going to use at least some of the same tricks in Zabarda that there is in Zabardast, you know? Uh, if I do another hardcore uh, uh, eternal beauty-like film on, I don't know, uh, skaters or, or whatever, how is it not going to look similar? Uh, so, the, you know, you're don't just don't do like the american do you know i would say and there's it's <laughs> something a, I, that's the headline <laughs> that's the headline just don't don't follow the americans because i feel like american movies and you know what i mean when i say american movies yeah, yeah yeah and this is something we know because you're british and i'm french and we know what we're talking about but for an american what's an american movie i don't 
you know they're so used to all these dramatic voiceovers they're best in the world most epic day ever the, you know the, always it's always the best ever best ever um that we're kind of to us it, it's always a little cringy you know and uh it's something i really hate about american movies is when they're this cringy they're it's too produced it's too nice it's too heroic uh, yeah it, was, it, it can lack honesty it can lack it, and uh, you know what you want from from anything and i'm gonna i'm gonna use the word like art is honesty like you do and and i and i think some something that rings true you know you want something that you can look at and say okay i get that it's coming from an honest place exactly and yeah you can and 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 obviously that's not what you're going to get with with everything and and there's and there's fuck knows plenty of room for dumb silly <laughs> ex, you know like that thing that's great you know everyone everyone you need that as well but yeah i think again i think that's why there was something great about eternal beauty because it was just a completely different honest take that you didn't that you didn't get you know going back to what we were saying about that whole way these things are presented and i think that's what that's how i would see it really you know it can and the other thing to say about this though is that it's not in 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 pursuing that creative honesty it's not that easy because because we're bombarded with this this stuff aren't we you know like these influences are everywhere so it's it's not an easy thing to do i don't think uh, well that's that's a very interesting topic because um you you like i don't know why uh, those two movies are so honest and they're more honest than than others maybe uh th- they're definitely not more honest than others there's ton if you look closely there's just tons of amazing documentaries and so down to earth so honest and after just 5 minutes you're totally hooked but of course. but they're not usually the mainstream stuff um and how do you get this honesty i don't know um just i don't know just by being clear in 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 your intentions and who you are and and also it's something that's very basic is a hero is never interesting if if he's a complete hero if yeah, if he doesn't have flaw. flaws if he's not uh stupid at points uh and, and it's like a, a superhero always has a weakness and and for any hero in any story i feel like if he if he doesn't if he doesn't act stupid sometimes if he doesn't do random stuff we all do random stuff uh then how can anyone relate to this character um so it's it's of course the most uh, i would say yeah i totally agree with you like honesty is the most important thing uh and it should be we should not have to talk about that everything should be honest isn't it yeah so what's next after the after the boat trip because you've got well i guess obviously it's the book right you're going to have to actually make the book yeah uh, so the book is going to print as we speak uh 2000 copies oh, right. yeah so you've, so you've just you, you're able to you've raised the money it's it's happening yeah the 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 money is is uh, is there um I'm going to print 2000 copies. There's maybe 300 and 500 books that are already sold through the crowdfunding and I'm going to copy 2000 with all that money and um yeah, and I'm just, you know, organizing everything, you know, doing the design with Mathieu George uh, over the phone every day uh, over the over the computer, talking with the printing factory and and of course i cannot go there to check by myself how it's going to be so i'm just going to have to trust them and uh, i'm not going to see i'm not going to see the book i'm not going to be the first person to see the book actually maybe probably matt george is going to is going to see it first and he's going to tell me yeah hopefully he's going to tell me yeah it's sick i don't know i'm a little uh, uh, anxious about it because it's i like to control everything in in the projects that i do I, I really like to be involved in every element of it and so letting go is the hardest part for me and to yeah so so the book is coming out and hopefully worldwide october 1st uh you'll be able to buy it online and get it shipped home from anywhere in the world and um after that we have art shows coming up and my ambition is to have art shows in, in actual galleries and museums and city halls 
and to have this traveling art show um, move around the world. Unfortunately, with the whole virus situation, it's a little uh, it's a little on hold for now, and we're we're gonna do as much as we can, you know, with the situation. Got like locations in mind for that? What, for example, the House of Vans in London. You know, that could be a really cool venue. Um, uh, have art shows in ski resorts, for example, during the X Games uh, in the US, uh, during the Lax Open in Lax, for example. Like, uh, There's also a really cool museum in Whistler. I don't know if you know, there's a, there's an actual modern art museum in Whistler. And so, you know, trying to, you know, trying to find a way to get in there with the snowboard photos and, and how, epic, yeah. how epic would that be? So that's the ambition. And yeah, I'm going to be on this Heroes project for almost a year. So, right. Yeah. Nice. So if people want to buy it, where can they, where can they find it? So it's going to be pretty pretty easy if you're in the US or in Canada. You buy it on Snowboarder Mag's website. Uh, they will be the distributor. And in Europe and the rest of the world, you can buy it on Blue Tomato. Uh, okay, so you've done distribution deals. For yeah, basically. I've done distribution deals to make sure that you can get it from anywhere. Sorry, mosquito. <laughs> yeah, to make sure you can get it from anywhere in the world. And you'll also be able to buy it in in stores and shop and snowboard shops hopefully uh, we're also working yeah. on that nice and then what you set sail tomorrow yeah that's the plan the boat is supposedly gonna get lift down into the water i just painted the the hull and uh i'm fixing a little bit of everything and my ambition is to cross from sardinia to mallorca and it's a little scary yeah well, good luck, man. <laughs> Thanks for fitting me in because obviously you've been fucking busy. Yeah, so. thank you so much. Thank you so, so much. Yeah, no worries, man. It's great to meet and, and have that chat. Well, I look forward to meeting and I look forward to seeing the book as well. Definitely, definitely. Let's go grab a beer. So there you go. That was me and Jerome Tannon. I hope you enjoyed it. Plenty to ponder in that one, eh? I mean, what a, what a legend for a start. The fact he was just like, yeah, I'm off on the boat around the Mediterranean. Um today like i say it's a sunday him and own toes are currently we're in a whatsapp group and they try to work out when they're going to do the zoom p- pictures which are going to be on the boat so they should be worth looking at two creatives like that getting their heads together to work something out anyway if you've not watched zabadast or the eternal beauty of snowboarding then they're on youtube i think they're free i really do urge you to check them out a day like this when it's raining on a sunday if you've got one of them fancy new TVs, it's got YouTube on it, would be the way to do it, I would say. And go and support Heroes while you're at it. I mean, as my last few guests have demonstrated, there's a lot of people making some really good stuff out there. And we've got to support it so they can keep doing it. Now, I know we're all used to getting everything for free these days, but it is actually a nice feeling to help creators out who try to do good stuff. I've backed a lot of Kickstarters myself over the years. I don't mind backing the odd GoFundMe you know, if it helps people get stuff done, give it a go. Speaking of which, I had a few interesting emails recently, including one from Eddie over in New Zealand, which kind of covers this territory. He writes, I've been listening to the interview you did with your friend, Dave Jordan on the Active Minds podcast. Very good, very open and honest. Enjoyed hearing about you for a change very much. However, when I got to the page on Dave's website, all I could think was, ah, this guy, Dave, has just ripped Matt off completely. I did think what a bloody cheek and was instantly put off listening. But obviously I did listen to it all, liked it and looked a bit deeper into what Dave was doing. Good stuff, Dave. And then it hit me. You've been wondering how to monetize or at least make some money from the podcast. And what I suddenly thought you ought to do is sell the format, create, for want of a better word, a podcast franchise system or framework. Why not create a framework which you sell, license, subscription or something out to everybody? It's a very good format you've got with the site itself the show notes, the setup of the mediums upon which to listen, the YouTube, the blogs about help on the equipment required, etc., etc. Maybe this could be the money earner you were looking for. Nice one, Eddie. Appreciate you having my back. And also, I'm just going to say thanks for looking at the website, which, as you mentioned, is quite comprehensive, has show notes for every episode, the full archive, a blog, more content than you could ever hope to get through. Takes a long time to compile that website. So it is nice to know people are actually looking at it and paying attention. 
thanks for the idea. That is a nice one. Probably one I won't be able to follow through unless I clone myself. And the other thing is as well, I'm quite committed to giving away that stuff for free, to be honest. And, you know, obviously I did essentially tell Dave to copy my format when he put all that together. Soon as I think if you listen to that episode, it's quite obvious we're old friends. Um, yeah, I mean, that's why I've got stuff on there, like blogs explaining how to set up a podcast. And I'm also pretty free and easy with the advice when people do get in touch. If people do want to help me keep this thing free and ad-free, the best thing that you can do, here it comes, is leave me a review on iTunes, buy some merch from the store, buy me a coffee through the Buy Me A Coffee page, which you can get to through my Instagram bio. Send me a direct message over at We Look Sideways. Follow me at We Look Sideways on Instagram because that's where I'm going to be really pushing the Kickstarter project. When that goes live, yeah, I've got one coming, as I've mentioned elsewhere. You could sign up to the newsletter on the website. It goes out every fortnight, includes the 10 things I think are worth sharing that week. And if you can't be asked with any of that, but fancy doing something simple and free, which does radically help, share your favorite episode on your social network of choice does make a huge difference in helping spread the word. And if everyone listened to this, did that right now, it'd be pretty interesting to see the results, really. But yeah, thanks for the email, Eddie. People can get me at podcast at wearelookingsideways.com if they want to get in touch. Um, yeah, all right. I'm going to go and bake a cake. How's that for a rock and roll Sunday? Um, I'll be back next week. See you next time. Nice one.